Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. By the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us of your promises. That we might hear your truth and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do our time of prayer again. I think that's something we're going to do um, every week in um, November, since it is a a time of thanksgiving. Um, We're looking at, we're, we're winding up Acts. We're getting towards the end, the last few chapters. And at the end, we're taking big chunks. Um, we're looking at Acts 25 and 26 today. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking of the, the Fornies uh, this, this week, as I was thinking about this passage with Paul. Um, they showed up uh, the first time they were here to, uh, not the first time they came to North Harbor, but the first time they came to uh, do some fundraising. Uh, for traveling over and ministering in the Czech Republic. Um, they had a number of meetings in people's homes, and um, I remember someone um, back then saying, um, I can't believe you're doing this, or I can never do that, or something to that nature, um, which was very revealing, I think, about uh, their sort of view of God and view of faith and how God works. I think that sometimes... Um, we just think there's, there's going to be these amazing um, voices out of heaven that are going to direct us to do those sort of things, those big things. I think we expect God to do big things when there's a big ask, like traveling to another country, planning a church. And in reality, um, most of it is just one foot in front of the other, just one step at a time. And they had some remarkable things happen for sure. Um, but most of it is just being confirmed by friends and family and whatever association they're with that, yeah, you're equipped for this, you're skilled for this, um, we believe that God is calling you, and it's one step at a time, and it may seem a bit uh, mundane. Um, <clears throat> we see a similar thing here in the book of Acts. In chapter 1, God or Jesus lays out, how this church is going to go and how, how it's going to grow. It's going to begin in Jerusalem, the heartbeat of Israel. It's going to end to, at the ends of the world, which in their mindset back then is Rome. You know, Rome, from the perspective of someone living in Israel, just it's like Rome covers the face of the earth. And so the ends of the earth is Rome. So it's, um, it's going to end in Rome, in the capital. And we, we know that. And you think that it's sort of presented uh, for reading between the lines as some sort of big showdown. The power of Rome, the power of the Roman Empire versus the power of God. And so as we get towards the end of this, we're just expecting the stars to fall from heaven and these incredible things to happen. And what we're getting is very different. Paul's being shuffled around and talking to leaders. And that's about all of it, you know. I mean, that's about what's happening in this last section in the book of Acts, which is chapters 21 to 28. And so there's plenty of Roman political drama uh, going on, but it seems like divine drama is not really stepping up to the challenge here. 
I just want to see, I want to see some sparks fly, you know? Um, <clears throat> so in Acts chapter 21 to 28, we see a lot of Roman power and Roman authority. Big, powerful, important people. In Acts chapter 22, the tribune uh, intends to arrest Paul, and worse. Um, in Acts chapter 23, there's a massive military escort which oversees Paul's transfer to Caesarea. In Acts 23 to 25, we have two different provincial governors hearing Paul's case, being shuffled around. In Acts 24, we see that Paul is jailed for two years, and he's kept as a bargaining chip for bribes, which never comes to fruition for that governor. In Acts 23 and 25, there's a lot of political maneuvering, uh, twice, to deliver Paul back to Jerusalem, and... Behind the scenes, there's a plan for an ambush, a big, elaborate plan to ambush the traveling and get Paul. In Acts 25 to 26, Paul shares his conversion story at this majestic hearing. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance with Governor Festus, King Agrippa, his wife Bernice, and a collection of other Roman elite people. And so there's actually a lot of drama going on. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, what is God doing here? Where is, where's, you know, where are these stories that we're seeing in the sand? And uh, it's interesting. I, I think that there is something incredibly powerful to see going on here as we see all this political maneuvering. We have this incredible, one of the most powerful empires on the face of the earth historically, they got Paul, they're shifting him around. And at the heart of it, Paul, he's not broken out of jail. The sun doesn't turn dark. The stars don't fall from heaven. What we have is simple. Paul just sharing his story. He demands this legal proceedings. He appeals to Caesar. And that's about as risky that we see, right? We're kind of expecting a little bit more, but that's about it. He sees that the people leading things who represent this incredible system, this powerful system, are trying to outmaneuver it uh, for their own gains. And he calls them on it so that he can go to Rome and plead his case. That's about as risky as we're getting in this story. And we can watch Disney movies that have more uh, excitement than this, right? <clears throat> and I got, you know, you got to ask, like, is this what God on the move looks like? Is this what God, you know, confronting the Roman Empire looks like? You know, and I think that this can really speak to us during this time. We've had a pretty emotional election. And I think the, the country feels a bit divided. Um, there was no landslide win, which means that 50% of the people in our nation were bummed out by the results earlier this week. We're unhappy. Racism 
only seems to get attention when there's something tragic that's really unfortunate. We have political mandates regarding the, uh, the current pandemic, and it's leaving people scratching their heads um, on why. Now, I'm fine to wear a mask uh, to, to go above me off for others, but even some of the things have got me scratching my head about wearing it outdoors, walking my dog. I don't know. But these are the type of things that have us wondering, regardless of what side you're on. I'm not trying to push any side here. It's, there's a lot of people scratching their heads right now. Um, and there's just great change in the social norms that are churning up a lot of stuff. You know, we, we're, we're a bit more isolated and separated. And that's going to have fallout. That's going to have psychological, emotional fallout. So mental health issues, people dealing with anxiety and depression, health issues, physical health issues. Um, you know, there's a lot going on. And so I think part of what I'm asking as I look at this passage and I look at our times right now is where, where's, where's the God of Exodus? Where's the God of Jericho? The God that encounters Zacchaeus and he has this incredible change. The God that raises Lazarus. The God of Easter morning. And in the book of Acts, Pentecost, showing up in flame and fire and wind. And it's interesting, we talked a little bit about this at, at Floodgate, kind of in a different way. And I was blown away by some of the conversation we had. I don't know if Eliza remembers this, but boy, it was the, the, the profound insight of some of the kids that we were seeing, that we were hearing from, were also saying things like, I want to see a sign, you know. I, can, I know this story. I know it inside and out. But where's the sign? You know, Why doesn't God heal everyone at once? Why is it just one blind man and one man who who's, uh, doesn't have use of his legs and one woman here and there? Why can't he just cast it out over everyone? And there's something so profound to understand about the way God works. Because those are good questions. Why doesn't God work like that? Why doesn't God address these things in that sort of way? And here in this story, we see the biggest power on the face of the earth at the time. And God is confronting it, and it just looks so small and undramatic. And I think that there's something incredibly powerful. So I want to read this. Paul is before King Agrippa, and I believe Festus. That's a cool name, right? Festus. If we had a boy... Um, <laughs> I'm thinking gun smoke myself. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <clears throat> so Paul has just shared, he's, he's just sharing his testimony. He's sharing the story. And at the heart of this is his relationship with God. Amen. That's it. His encounter, what he knows. Yep. And he has already shared up to this point um, about what a ruthless persecutor of the church that he was, which I love. I probably should have put that in there, but I didn't. But I love his honesty about who he was. There's no sort of glossing over. And then he comes to this part where he has this encounter with Jesus. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus. You know, he has that, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet. 
I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me. And tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Which again, I find really interesting since he's imprisoned. And he will not be free again. I will rescue. So it begs the question of what does rescue look like? Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things that they do. Some Jews arrested me at the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way, the rising from the dead, in that way, announce God's light to Jews and non-Jews alike. Amen. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you're nuts. You're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except without the chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. They went out. They talked it over and agreed. This man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And that's it. We move on to the next chapter. All these big, powerful people. That's it. And so, what I love about this, Paul doesn't really speak judgment on them. He doesn't say that the kingdom is going to crash down. This is all stuff out of Revelation, right? But that's not what Paul does here. What he looks back on is his relationship. This is where our conversation went with, with Floodgate. That what we come back to is that relationship that we have with Jesus. Amen. That powerful things, incredibly powerful things are happening right in front of him. But it's so subtle. It's so quiet. It's so under the radar. And that's sometimes, and I would perhaps argue most of the time, how God works. Amen. 
And we look at that and we try to figure out, is this human agency, you know, um, or is it divine? And Luke doesn't go into that. It's sort of a mystery about how human agency and divine providence work together. And the Bible, unlike us, doesn't really feel the need to figure it all out. They're okay with that mystery. Not sure how all this intersects and works. But Paul is still moving on to Rome, just as Jesus said he would. It's still moving forward. So we talked about that on Wednesday. We come back to that personal encounter. Amen. That personal encounter, that story. We talked it last week, this story, about the rocks. Remember what God has done. Amen. And this week, just one foot in front of the other. Amen. So I'm not sure how all these big things will play out in our day. Might get worse, might get better soon, I don't know. But at the heart of it, we have a relationship to nurture with Jesus. When Paul is faced with these powers, he shares the simple story. Here's what happened. And so we continue to share our story with those around us, and we continue to put one foot in front of the other, and we have faith. Faith is being sure of those things we cannot see. And so often we mix up faith with trying to prove it. (laughs) Paul doesn't seem to care about proving it. He's just going to tell them, this is what happened. (laughs) This is what my job is. I'm just telling you. And yet he's still moving this whole thing against the most powerful empire the world has seen is still moving forward. God is still in control God is still more powerful. Amen. And I'll pray for you. Um, And so um, I'm reminded also that Jesus gives us something very simple and mundane to remember. He says when, uh, this is Luke 22, verse 14. This is his last meal with his disciples. He says, When the time came, Jesus and the disciples sat down at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. He said, take and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink it again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice 